drink and we watch things. Hi. Um, hi. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Lamar. And we're thankful to have you back with us. We This is our what? Third? Fourth? I don't even know. We're losing track. I've lost track of time. Several episodes in. So thanks for coming back. Also, thanks for all your comments and feedback. Yeah. Like, I got a shout out. Seeing a bunch of comments on the socials, on the Facebook, which I forget to check, by the way, because yeah. I'm not 85 years old. <laughs> uh, but I have seen some great comments there. And then on Instagram. And... I got a lot of hate mail. Did like you? A lot already? Of hate they already mail. hate yeah. you? And physical mail, too, which you, in these, this day and age, you don't see a lot of that. But wow. I'm getting letters at my home address. Ooh. Was it like the magazine murderer shit? Yeah, thing? like cut out of magazines. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Ooh, okay. Y'all be nice to Lamar. He's funny. But, we I mean, like we, him. We did ask for feedback, so we fair did, is fair. Appreciate that. Mackenzie's getting all the positives. Yes. It's also, we're, we're recording this on Halloween, mm. and you guys can't see it because this is a podcast, but I am wearing a fully functioning Optimus Prime costume. Oh, it took yeah. me hours yeah. and hours to make. Super so, committed. You know. Super committed. Really comfortable to record it, in too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for coming back. We're so happy to have you. We hope you keep listening, obviously. But today, you know, we're going to, it is Halloween, but we are, we're moving on into our, our November conversations. So we had to kind of come up with a plan. So what was our November plan? So our original plan was that we were going to record an episode where we sort of compared and contrasted Inglorious Bastards yeah. versus Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. I guess not necessarily versus. Which but. is like not a verse. Yeah, the real the real conversation was actually off mic is what it was. We were like, mm-hmm. which one was kind of immediately popular mm-hmm. and why? And how did that change? And, and how did, you know, Pulp Fiction, like obviously a cult classic become so popular? And that just became a really complicated conversation, to be honest. So yeah, so we uh, called an audible about 30 minutes 30 ago, minutes ago. <laughs> we decided I think it just because we were sitting here and I was like you know we missed an opportunity and you you said what and I went Tarantino November that you just push the words together and you were like well we could just do that yeah, so we here we that. are now we're just gonna do four so Tarantino we'll films in November. the entire schedule yeah. it's totally fine yeah. actually I'm super thrilled I think it's a great idea and I think I haven't heard it before so I feel like you I'm sure we are not the idea. first movie podcast to have done this but I googled it no one else has published it online so as soon as we so lock that debt counts. trademark it's ours now because... you know you should have you should have gotten the rights sorry y'all sorry sorry not sorry <laughs> so so that's the plan Stan we're gonna do four Tarantino films in November mm-hmm. we're gonna start with Inglorious Bastards today we'll talk about Pulp Fiction next week and then TBD on the next two. I guess we could be open to feedback. Yeah, but, send us some uh, suggestions. Send us some suggestions. I'd love to hear what you else you want us to talk about. We're Tarantino fans, so we'll rewatch whatever you want. I do, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Hateful Eight, as you well know, so I, mm-hmm. I feel like we could work that one in. But I think yeah. that that's one of the most controversial, the, not controversial, the divisive, I guess is divisive. the right word. If some people yeah. really hated Hateful Eight, uh, really? no pun intended. You said that to me before, too, and mm-hmm. I just find that so weird. It's yeah. it's a it's a one that you really do have to do a rewatch of I think to fully appreciate it. But we're yeah. not talking about Hateful Eight today. We're I'm, not, go, I'm not, going on tangents. Go on we promise we're going to try to keep today to an hour. We're we promise. <laughs> so we're gonna. But anyway, so yeah. So we I think we have our third slot is what I'm hearing though. Yeah. So fourth fourth recommendation. We want to hear what you would like us to chat about. Weird. Before we get going, what are we drinking today? We are drinking a little bit of the bubbly to quote bit. Mr. Chris oh. Jericho. That's a wrestling reference for the nerds out there that like wrestling. Uh, I don't think Mackenzie does, but so you're not going to get that. McKenzie but yeah, we're doing a little bit that. of the bubbly today because uh, in Inglorious Pastors, there's copious amounts of there champagne. Copious amounts yeah. of champagne. And I'm like, what are we celebrating exactly? Anyway, we'll get into that. But we thought it'd be a good opportunity for some bubbles. Shout out to the aspiring sommelier boyfriend who picked our bubbles today. Shout which, by the way, are quite a bit more bougie than I planned. And <laughs> I was like, okay, we could have limited the budget here, but okay. Yeah. But they're really nice. And no, I can't pronounce it. So I'll, I'll put it in the comments, though. It's a very delicious. How do you spell it? Uh, it looks like Nicola Florida something. I think you nailed it. That's I pretty. I think that was yeah. really on okay. point. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, cheers to that. Let's, cheers. Uh, let's get rolling. Okay, we're, going, uh, we're stretching. We're clicking. There we go. You we're guys clinking. can't see us, but we you did clink. Us, but we're clinking. So as you know, when you listen to this, there are, there are spoilers. But we want to give you a quick refresher of the plot. We know some of you may not have seen Inglorious Bastards in a hot minute. So I want to do just a quick recap of what this whole thing is about. So mm-hmm. 
It is the first year of Germany's occupation of France. Allied officer Lieutenant Aldo Rain assembles a team of Jewish soldiers to commit violent acts of retribution against the Nazis, including the taking of their scalps. Yikes. He and his men join forces with Bridget von Hammersmark, a German actress and undercover agent, to bring down the leaders of the Third Reich. Their fates converge with theater owner Shoshana Dreyfus, who seeks to avenge the Nazis' execution of her family by Colonel Hans Landa. So, there's a, a lot going on in there, lot. like every Tarantino film. Ooh, yeah. So you've got, I think, about three to four different storylines sort of intertwining in this one. Mm-hmm. I sort of wrote down, you know, we start out with Hans Landa and Shoshana. We get into that mm-hmm. right off the bat. Then you meet the bastards and you mm-hmm. see how they're sort of heading to some like a confrontation, a plan of sort of winning World War II in this right. alternate history that we've got in this film. He loves those alternate histories. Y- Carantino does. Yes. Yeah. And this yeah. sort of led into, again, tang- little tangent, but of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we get a little oh, alternate history. And this sort of kicked that off. Of totally what if this happened? That. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Then you jump into, you get Frederick Zoller and Shoshana's story of sort of like, I wouldn't call it a meet cute. We're going to get into, I want, I'm really curious to get your thoughts when we get to that. Mm-hmm. And then we jump back to the bastards, Bismarck. We meet a couple yeah. other new characters. And then finally, it all sort of comes together at the end with all of these characters converging to this, this theater later in the film. So. Before we dig deep, that's sort of like an overview of all the different plots going on. But before we dig deep into that, do you want to discuss kind of like the cast a little bit of this one, the characters? Yeah. Well, as per usual with Tarantino, it's an A-list rock star cast. It's crazy. You get this many of these people in one Mm -hmm. room and one film set. So a few of them, obviously Brad Pitt is Lieutenant Aldo. We'll talk a lot about his character, I'm sure. Very interesting guy. I was reading up on this, and I was curious on rewatch of what he's snorting throughout the film. Mm. Like, he has this little box. And I was like, this is Bro. before cocaine. I know my cocaine history, and Same I feel like that's an 80s man. drug. I so also did Did you actually Google it? Yep. So sure what's did. what's he snorting there? Let so it's know. actually snuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tobacco product. As mm-hmm. we know, what we in the States see most is that people are actually dipping that and yes. putting it inside their lips. And it actually was very common to snort it, to sniff it. And yeah. I mean, which makes sense. It's the name snuff. Yep. It makes more sense that you would snuff it. So yeah, it is not cocaine. <laughs> but so Brad Pitt with his box of snuff. Diane Kruger, who is brilliant as usual. She's Bridget von Hammersbark playing an a- actress, playing an actress. Christoph Waltz, brilliant. So I want to take a second on this, and I'm sorry to interrupt. But like reading up on it, supposedly Tarantino was close to sort of putting this one in the vault prior to it being made. He was mm-hmm. he couldn't find the perfect actor to play to this Hanslanda Hans. character. Yeah. And it's a difficult character to play because on one side, he's saying these terrible, offensive things, committing these horrible acts. But is it... Am I wrong to say that there are points in the movie where he is likable, where he makes you laugh? He is super charming. Uh, yeah. Let's just be honest. His character... He is such a dichotomous character because he is very charming, but he is also lethal. Mm-hmm. And even while he's being charming, you know that. You are like you are actively scared of him while he is charming you. Yeah. I think is what's it and it, just such a testament to his performance. It that is an incredible note to strike. And yeah, he, he's a very interesting character. Yeah, so he's saying things like, Oh, I can think like a Jew. And it's like, gee, I don't want to hear this. And then five seconds later, he's giggling like a child uncontrollably. And you're like, okay, that's kind of funny. Just a lot going on there. I just thought it was worth calling out that this movie almost didn't get made because that's such a difficult character to cast. And Tarantino actually went to Germany to do a final casting call. And this was sort of the last shot. And Christoph Waltz walked into the room. And I think within two lines, he said, that's the guy. That's the one. That's the one. And if I asked you to guess... What year Christoph Waltz started acting? What would be your guess? Because this film came out in 2009. When do you think he started acting? I don't know this. Uh, I actually wanted to look into this, but I would guess like, I don't know. I would guess like 70s, 80s. Yeah, 1977. And I mean, mostly obviously European. I think he did some stuff in England. He did some stuff in Germany. And 2009. I think is when he became sort of a household name, at least in the United States, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. 32 years and he has this just defining role. Also, I mean, not to skip around, but Daniel Bruhl as well. Sort Mm -hmm. of this was a breakout role for him. And then he started popping up everywhere. So when we say A-list cast at the time, 
Mm-hmm. I would say, I would venture mm-hmm. to say they were relatively unknown. But then when you, see, you walk out of this and you're like, they're going to be stars. Yeah. No, I mean, they they were such a core cast that went so well together. But they have these really powerful independent performances that really highlight each of them as as actors. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, it's not at all surprising that they're coming out of this with a, a jump leap on their career as a result. So, yeah, no, that's interesting. Daniel Brühl as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that as much because I feel like, like you said, I feel like I've seen Daniel Brühl in a ton of things, and especially right. anything with a German or an Austrian. Right. You know, plug plug in Daniel Brühl. He's there. the he's the Austrian Danny Trejo. Exactly. <laughs> you know, he absolutely is. That's hilarious. <laughs> he totally is. Uh, he doesn't say no to a movie. That's for damn sure. Just like Danny <laughs> Trejo. Yeah. So no, that's that's such a good observation. I mean, with that in mind, Daniel Brühl's in it as well. He plays Frederick Zoller. Mm-hmm. Another um, g- controversial character where you're really not sure how to feel about him. Oh, I know exactly how I feel about Frederick Zoller. So. <laughs> is at the beginning, he's, you know, he's this German, you know, for lack of a better word, a German war hero, a Nazi war hero in their eyes. Yeah. You know, this sniper who Which means he's super killed, garbage. <laughs> killed a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of Americans, and is sort of being praised. But then he's sort of this... He's flirting with Shoshana, and you're not really sure if it's legitimate or if he's just entitled, and that obviously plays out over the course of the film, and we'll dig deeper into that in a second. But who else do you want to touch on cast-wise? Who else do you so want to shout others. out? a couple others. One you said just then, which was uh, Shoshana, who mm-hmm. is played by... I'm going to butcher her name, but it, I think it's Melanie Laurent. Her mm-hmm. last name is Laurent. And so she's brilliant, plays Shoshana. Michael Fassbender, obviously, also yep. great. He plays Lieutenant Archie Hickox. Mm-hmm. And then Sylvester Groth. I don't know if he's one that you would call out, but he's one that I called Who, out. Which one is Sylvester Groth? He's Goebbels. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's Goebbels. And he stands out to me for a couple reasons. One, Joseph Goebbels is horrible. Also, I feel like I'm butchering his name, but it, I don't really care. He's garbage. But yeah, he he's a horrifying character in history. And this is a very weird take on him as a person. So I thought uh-huh. that was interesting uh, standout that I wanted to talk about. But also, he's in The Man from U.N.C.L.E., which is one of my favorite freaking movies. I love a Guy Ritchie movie. Um, and he he also plays like a really bad dude in that. And okay, so, so it's kind of his vibe. He's got you know? a type. I want to, similar, I want to call out, I believe it's Martin Wutka. Sorry again for pronunciation, but the guy who plays Adolf Hitler in this, because that is a role that I'm sure not a lot of folks in Hollywood would, or not just Hollywood. I mean, a lot of these actors are from Germany and from the other countries uh, in Europe where this is based, but uh, that's probably not a role that anyone wants to play. I, I always think of... Taika Waititi having to play Adolf Hitler in Jojo mm-hmm. Rabbit because no one else would touch it. So he was like, well, you know, no one wanted to play yeah. a comedic Adolf Hitler. Right. So Waititi played him himself in his Which, own Which, by movie. the way, like, we, he, nobody else could have done it anyway. So, right. Right. But right. yeah, the, he, yes, he does. You're right. He does do a really challenging role here. But I will mm-hmm. say we don't see him as much. So it's it, it's interesting how uninvolved he is, really, because he's the target. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but he does do a good job, but he, I actually thought he didn't look much like him. It was one of my thoughts. Oh, when I looked at, I think I was on IMDb trying to find who it was and I was just looking at the cast, yeah, pic- like, like not the cast, but like their actual their images, IMDb yeah. pictures and I didn't recognize him. I was like, none of these people are the person none I'm thinking of, of. And then I clicked on, oh, there he is. Okay. But like while I was watching it, I was like, I feel like they could have gotten somebody closer, but maybe it's the same thing. I didn't look into that, but maybe right. it's a similar thing of like, people don't want to play Hitler because obviously he's Hitler. <laughs> I would also, and I mean, probably not a stretch to say that especially, I would assume German actors probably oh, don't course. want to play Adolf Hitler. You know? Yeah, yeah. They're like, give me anyone else. Thank you yeah, so it's, much. It's got to be a New Zealand. Apparently New Zealanders, they're the only ones that get a kick <laughs> out of playing Adolf Hitler. So <laughs> maybe that's it. a big thing there in New Zealand. Give Tycho a call. So, you know, He'll help you out. Yeah, I think we touched on pretty much everything that I had as far as the cast is concerned. I think we gave everybody sort of you know, they're flowers, if you will, on all, all the big stuff. And you have other cameos and whatnot, but you have smaller roles. You got Eli Roth, who mm-hmm. is like apparently buddy-buddy with Quentin Tarantino at this point. They're both huge cinephiles. Yeah. And so Tarantino actually appears on this horror series that uh, Janelle and I are watching right now. And it's Eli Roth's History of Horror. But it's cool to see the two of them just sort of shooting the shit cool. about these classic monster movies and terrifying tales that they love. That's super cool. Yeah. Let's, um, what, where do you want to go next, I guess? My first note, I honestly do want to start with this is the script Mm -hmm. you know well for a couple reasons you know um it's i think it's beautifully structured 
beautifully written. The flow is really natural and yeah. well done from a storytelling, from a narrative perspective. It kind of gets tied up in a bow really by yeah. the end, but you have all these tendrils of it throughout that are, mm-hmm. again, typical Tarantino, right? Like he's intertwining multiple stories yeah. and it's hard to do that in a cohesive way, I think, to begin with, but much less with a really complicated and divisive topic like Nazi Germany, you know, and yeah. World War Two, And so I think he does a really good job of deftly handling the topic yeah. and using the, the characters in a way that informs the climate, but also to your point earlier about Hans Landa's character makes you empathetic of people you would not normally be. Right. You know, you have to at least consider them. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that comes back to just how it's written. It's, of course, performance-based. But I think that you can't overlook that the screenplay here is really well done. But the other point about the screenplay that just really stood out to me was the language of it all. Mm -hmm. You know, there are multiple languages being interwoven throughout very naturally in the same scene, in the same sentence, from the same person's mouth. They're going from English to German to French, and they're going back and forth so, again, so deftly and mm-hmm. you know i don't have an ear for accents i'm not saying that yeah. but it sounds to the untrained ear very natural yes and and it flows very well and imagine how hard that must have been to write and then of course to perform but this script took him 10 years oh i wasn't aware of that yeah and so i was like well no wonder you know you right. know when you when, again when you dig into the film you're kind of like and you and i both did a rewatch we've of course seen this a couple of times mm-hmm. but i sort of rewatched that with that in mind and i was like well yeah like but that's another testament i think to how well it flows you on the first couple watches don't really register it yeah that the, that the language is changing so quickly and easily and and things like that it doesn't stand out per se because it feels so natural and it figures into the plot as well it's very intentional that there are multiple languages spoken in this there's an entire scene that revolves around accents of mm-hmm. they are, the guy is aware that Archie Hickox is not actually a German soldier because he picks up on the accent right. and the way that he's speaking so there's another sort of takeaway and again we're gonna spoil the hell out of this film if you've never seen it please go watch it I don't know why they're uh, still here to be just honest. because you're aware of that World War II happened will not spoil anything because it's a totally alternate history <laughs> So you will still enjoy this film. You get a different take on it. But it, it, it actually, I didn't pick up on this the first time I watched it. But on rewatch, did you notice the parallels between the very first scene where we see Shoshana and her family hiding under the floorboards and Londa comes in to, to talk to the farmer there to try to find them and he changes to English so that mm-hmm. the people he knows are probably hiding in the house will yep. not understand what's being said. Because yep. at that point, I believe they only speak French, her family. Right. In the very last scene, I guess maybe not the last scene, but in the finale, the climax, Shoshana, and I didn't pick up on this until I read it, so credit to, I believe it was What Culture. A lot of the stuff that I'm pulling today, I'll give credit to What Culture, because, you know, I, I was like, oh, that's interesting, that's you're just interesting. Not an, you're not just so, an encyclopedia of all of no, this? No, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that these are all original ideas. Some are, but I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. And in the final scene, in the climax... You know, Shoshana goes through all the effort of, I'm going to make a movie to show to the Nazis in this theater while right. they're burning to death. Yeah. So that's all part of her plan, the effort that it takes her to, like, we're going to make a movie. We're going to torture this guy to make the footage, like, all just to have a little slap in the face of these people that are burning alive. Just a little added cherry on top. She films that in English. Yeah. And the point was most of the Germans in there aren't going to understand what she's saying and why they're being punished. And it's like a mirror of at the beginning when she had no idea that the German soldiers were about to come in and shoot up the floorboards and right. kill her family. So it's it's interesting to see those mirror each other. Well, I think it's critical to understand that, yes, exactly to your point, she did not speak English at the time that that happened. Or again, they would have escaped. They would have tried to do something sooner before they were killed. And so I think it's part of her vengeance Mm -hmm. throughout this, this story. You know, this is really partially, again, a story of Shoshana's vengeance that she goes and learns English. This is, I'm not going to ever be tricked by this again. This is what killed my family, Mm -hmm. not knowing these words. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. I mean, if, it's as simple and more complicated, of course. You you just brought up great points about the screenplay and how much that language sort of figures in there. So I think, again, that's very intentional. Always, as you said, in Tarantino films, there's going to be these linking storylines. And I think this might be my favorite in terms of how everything comes together. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen Tarantino films where 
there's multiple stories happening in the same universe or at the in the same city, and they sort of interweave, and there's some crossover of characters and things like that. But I think this one of just seeing how everything builds up to this final it's crazy that the, the climax what i would call it is it takes about 40 minutes they all mm-hmm. get to the theater and there's still about 40 to 45 minutes left in the film right and you have all these other stories play out and wrap up at the same time and mm-hmm. then you get kind of the little epilogue at the end yeah i totally agree that it has a really cohesive story i kind of throughout it's kind of funny i always think of um like a braid, these tendrils of these like braids interweaving at the right time to make it, you know, give you this this mm-hmm. beautiful image, this beautiful design. And I think that's so true of this story. Again, yeah, I think he weaves it together really, really well. And to your point, it is very long. Yeah. I mean, it's a long film. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't know, you tell me, especially the first couple times I didn't think anything of it. All right. And just on a, on a rewatch, again, I noted the time going into the movie and I thought, God, that's long. You know, mm-hmm. we're all we're all crushed for time. Yeah. You know, I was like, I don't know if I have time for this. And uh, but while you're watching it, you don't notice. At least I didn't. I didn't notice at all. I felt like the flow, the pacing was so on point that you get lost in this story. Yeah, I think the chapters in this one are well spaced out. The first time that I watched it, I will say that the initial Frederick and Shoshana, that chapter where they're first meeting and it's mm-hmm. a, it's very dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of them talking at the marquee and then them meeting for lunch. And then you get that scene of Hans Landa showing up and then you get this very tense, does he know who she is? Does he not? You get that in there, but that one chapter did drag a bit for me the first time mm. through. This time, with knowing where it's heading. So basically, you I'm don't like more. to listen to people talk, is what I'm hearing. I don't like dialogue. I prefer <laughs> the Transformers films, as I noted earlier in my costume. So I just give me a Transformers movie. There were no Transformers in this. I get zero stars. He's like, you lose me when you start talking a lot. I just can't. Uh, I See, because to the contrary... I loved it. Okay. I thought like that the tension in that scene is so palpable. And again, from the get-go, you know that this incredibly polite, courteous, formal Mm -hmm. man is being charming, is being a a great house guest. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And he's sitting at the table and he's asking permission. And and he has all the power. You know that immediately. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs to tell you that. It's a Nazi in a, you know. Right. What are you going to do? You can't say no, but he's pretending that he's giving you a choice. You know exactly that this guy has total power over you. And I thought that was very interesting. And And it's, you can feel this tension and you can feel the other shoe about to drop, but it really contrasts with this person's charisma. Yeah, part of me really wishes, I think it would have been maybe not more interesting, but maybe, I'm not really sure what word I'm looking for here, but I I don't like that they have him at the end go full villain, talking about the Frederick Zoller character, Mm. of when she kicks him out of the projection booth, because he's he's doing his little cutesy thing, like, oh, I'm here to annoy you, blah, 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 I don't want to watch my Nazi movie, I'm not proud of what I did there, and it's, you have a little bit of sympathy of this guy's just fighting for an army, fighting for a cause that he doesn't even know if he believes in, but he's taking orders, and then he goes full villain and is like, telling her I've done everything and I deserve like I've earned the you know the right to whatever and I see Mackenzie's rolling her eyes so super rolling my eyes I I didn't so much I didn't love that story decision because I thought it would be more compelling to have him be a character who is trying to do better maybe I know that's a really weird statement to make about a Nazi soldier but to have him actually just be genuinely caring for this woman who's not yeah and who's not responding to his advances and I thought that would, you could still have it play out the same way of them killing each other at sure. the end and whatnot. But I, I, for me, when he flipped that switch and it was just like, oh, this whole thing's been a ruse, yeah. I, I, that kind of lost me a little bit. It didn't for me, to be honest, That's because fair. I was like, this is so fucking on brand. Yeah. And maybe that is. I don't know. Maybe that's being a woman. The nice the guy trope. The, the nice, nice guy, guy trope. trope. Maybe yeah. that's being a woman and being on the receiving end of advances that you don't want. And this guy won't yeah. fucking stop. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't take a hint. And he thinks that it's cute. And he thinks that it's funny. And it's mm-hmm. fucking not. Yeah. And she has shown you in every way possible that she gives zero fucks about you. Yeah. You are an annoyance. You are. And not only we, of course, know why Shoshana on these all these other levels doesn't like him. Yeah. But... 
as a woman, she's like, I'm just not that into you, bitch. Like, get away from me. You know what I mean? And he's just not getting it. And so it was very, it was both predictable and real that this person would shift. Yeah. That they would not final, finally know that they're not going to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Because this whole thing has been about him trying to get what he wants. Yeah. I'm going to warm my way in. I'm going to get her to like me. I'm going to do her a favor and host the screening here and all these things. All these things she didn't ask for, by the mm-hmm. way. But I'm going to do all these things that are going to ingratiate her toward me. And then she's going to owe me. Yeah, I took you to dinner, right? You know? I did you this favor, right? It's so fucking on brand. And so I was just not at all surprised i was like okay that train's never late welcome you know come on in and and he was so it would have been compelling i totally understand what you're saying to dig into the humanity of somebody who is conflicted yes I think that's a very interesting story to tell. And I think they still do that. I'm not saying they yeah. did that it was all lost. And actually, to be fair, after listening to you explain, I'm going to go ahead and switch sides and say that I was wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do the scientific thing of saying, hey, there new information has I been uncovered and I'm going to take Mackenzie's side. So I'm with you. I'm yeah, convinced. Yeah, when he realized he was just done. But to your point, though, I will say real quick about his conflict about what he was doing yeah. and watching himself on screen and all that. That's actually another thing that I thought was actually very telling about him caring a lot about his perceived heroism. Yeah. And he was being very vain in those moments. And Mm. to me, it was actually really validating of he may act sort of conflicted and he may play the shy guy of, I just did what I was supposed to do. I just took orders. And I just, you know, I'm just, I was successful almost by accident. I Mm -hmm. had a great position. I did, you know, all these things. And he's being this, he's being like just disingenuously humble. Yeah. And then when you see him watch himself on screen, you realize how much he cares that he looks like a hero that he does the right thing he does a couple shots that you can tell he like he puts his head down and he's like oh god yeah he's like, like shuddering he's like shuddering yeah. and i think well, at least for me it was about him not shooting the scene right not getting oh. the angle right not like looking good in that scene and i was i read it completely as him being so vain so obsessed with that performance instead of Oh, I'm so conflicted at watching myself murder all these people. Okay. I that's not how I interpreted it. I could see how you could interpret it that way. I don't know. I, I took it as him, yes, being kind of ashamed of what was happening, but I like that spin on it. I don't know that I agree hundred percent, but I do like that interpretation a lot. Okay. So we've spent a good amount of time on Frederick and Shoshana. There were also references. We hate because that wasn't super clear. <laughs> we hate Frederick. Yeah, sorry, Daniel Brule. I know, and I love him. Actually, mm-hmm. that's just really quick. That was really hard for me. Because I love mm-hmm. him as an actor. And yeah. again, I don't I can't remember my first watch, but on this watch, you know, I yeah. remember my affinity for Daniel Brühl and his performances, and I was like, Oh God, I hate this guy. But I mean, in this he kills twenty something Americans and then he goes on later in his career to break up the Avengers. Oh yes. In Civil Wars. So yeah, it really flows nicely uh-huh. to be I honest. think this was like yeah. the prequel. <laughs> a prequel actually yes thank you tarantino for the avengers prequel we appreciate you so we spent a lot of time on those two do you want to talk about the bastards a little bit fuck yeah i do okay who doesn't love the bastards the namesake start there they're just yeah it's the namesake of the story man this is a band of misfits yeah is what this is yeah and it is a band of misfits that i think you love for at least for me from second one I was just, yeah. I loved it. Every time they are on screen are probably my favorite parts of the film. They're just very compelling. And again, they're not perfect characters. I wanted to shout this out because this is another thing that I didn't notice. But in the article I read, did you notice that after the the shootout in the basement when they're in the veterinarian's office mm-hmm. and they're operating on her bullet wound, did you notice the dead dogs in the kennels? I didn't. So there was a scene where these Americans shot dogs to convince the veterinarian to operate. And then Tarantino realized, oh, people aren't going to like the, the quote-unquote good guys shooting dogs. So he took that out. But there are two dead Thank dogs with bullet wounds. Because yeah. you know what? I would have walked the fuck out. Yeah. 
So hundred percent. Talk about I had, conflicted characters. I did not characters. know that. That is because so, yeah. I actually watched all the deleted scenes. They don't even have it on the on the bonus features. Oh wow! I wonder if they. I mean, it, the dogs are there. There are bullet wounded dogs sure. in no, the no, kennels. No, yeah. So it's like, did they shoot it and just never release say, did it? They shoot did it? they prep the scene as if that had happened, but they never got around to shooting that scene? Not really sure. But if they shot it, they did not include it in the bonus features. Yeah. I can tell you that. So so it's interesting that the the good guys again are these folks who are scalping Nazis, you know, yeah. taken. And again, it's Nazis. I'm not going to feel bad about that at all. Fuck that. But, yeah. you know, they're beating people to death with baseball bats. They are not. They are kind of anti-heroes in that way of <laughs> being yeah. very compelling and having a blast just murdering people. And I was, throughout the film, I was like, how many are there supposed to be? There were, I think, eight mm-hmm. at the beginning, but then they pick up Stiglitz, who's like a defector. Yeah. And then, you know, Hickox joins. Well, we love Stiglitz, man. He's just like... <laughs> He's like in the ranks murdering Nazis. And yeah. I I mean he's a legend inside the Nazi <laughs> army. Like I just love that. I literally yeah. in my notes I have Hugo Stiglitz, Hero like, in all caps. I was into it. Yeah, I and we had to get a Sam Jackson cameo in this movie some way, and you get him narrating the introduction to Stiglitz. Mm-hmm. So that's where we get our little Sam Jackson. I think he narrates a scene later on as well. But yeah. but yeah, Stiglitz is, is a lot of fun. Uh, very violent, and I love his face during the entire bar sequence, the basement bar yes. sequence, where he is just pissed off. He is so enraged. Like, he's, like, he's ready just, to kill. He's like, just let me at him. <laughs> just let me kill them all. I am ready. And honestly, like, how much better would it have gone if he had? But when they introduce all the bastards, I was just the audience just cheering. I was just <laughs> over here just clapping, like, love yeah. him, love yeah. him. He's great. I will say, when they introduce the bear. The bear Jew. The bear Jew. Yeah. I expected more. There was such a lead You weren't up to expecting him. Eli Roth to come down that I tunnel. I was with not a expecting <laughs> Eli Roth, which like I'm, no disrespect to Eli Roth, like he's yeah. he's a handsome man, he's like a buff guy. I'm not saying he's not buff, but like when you say the bear Jew, you yeah. expect a big motherfucker to come out of that tunnel. And he wasn't that big and like he has the bat and he's scary looking and he does all the things. He's scary and he does some fucking damage. But man, I did not expect him. The thing is, though, I think what they're trying to get across there is there's a scene the very first time we see the Adolf Hitler character where he's talking about this this lore about mm-hmm, the bastards mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. their their eight people. How are they massacring our yeah. armies? And they actually talk about the legend of the bear Jew the bear there. Jew. And oh, he's a golem. He's like a tro- giant yeah, troll yeah, man yeah. with a bat. So I think the fact that it is just this normal looking this dude. Normal yeah. And if I have one up. slight against the bear Jew character, it's that terrible Boston accent that Eli Roth is trying okay, but to do. Also, of course, he's from fucking Boston. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. that note as well. I was like, yes, go Sox. I love but, it because he makes like a Red Sox reference. I don't uh-huh, know if you heard it. So yes. It, I was all about it. I was like, of course, he's from Boston. We love that. We love a Boston Jew. But also, yeah, it was not the best Boston accent. Yes. Yeah. But I was still about it. I was still on board. (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, hearing hearing Eli Roth do that terrible, like, Teddy fucking Williams knocks it out of the pot. I'm like, come on, dude. This isn't The Departed. Like, and I love The Departed. But so he feels like an extra in that that just didn't make the cut. But either Mm -hmm. way, do dig the bear Jew. But Teddy Williams is great. So I respect (laughs) the line for sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we get some random cameos in the bastards. You got BJ Novak from the office in there who actually ends up surviving. I was in my head. I was counting how many of this might be the Tarantino movie with the highest death count of the main cast. Mm. Cause I think only about three main characters survive the film and BJ Novak's one of them. And he's not really even a main character, but everyone else it's kind of a bloodbath. Yeah. He's a little bit ancillary to be honest, but he gets these kind of key scenes. You yes. Know, he gets taken captive with, brad pitt Mm -hmm. and all of that and so he doesn't get the opportunity to stand out other than the fact that he's there right and you're kind of like whoa yeah because at least for me i can't see him and not be like oh look it's (laughs) It's ryan it's ryan from the office it's like you want something bad to happen for how he treated kelly (laughs) for real this fucking guy why did he survive kelly's gonna be pissed (laughs) so you have him you have and i'm i do not know the actor's name but you got the guy from freaks and geeks in there only has a few pieces of dialogue, but he's there. I guess Archie Hickox isn't an official member of the Bastards, but he sort of joins the cause midway into the film. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the first times I remember seeing Michael Fassbender on film, and he had been around for a minute, but this was one of the first roles I remember seeing him in. I think it's one of the ones that he kind of, you know, like you said, just became more prominent. But I just 
I love his character. Yeah. It's so funny. I love how he's introduced. I love him and Michael Myers, by the way. Like, Mike Myers is freaking... <laughs> Mike, the guy from Halloween or the guy that played Austin Powers? Mike Austin Powers, sorry. Mike, <laughs> Mike Michael Myers. Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers, yeah, is his commanding officer. Yes. Or what have you in that first scene. Yeah. And it was... He's, he's made up as is his style but he's yeah. made up in such a way that it takes you a minute you're like where do i know that guy what from he's got fuck? like a fake nose i think right and... and you're like wait a minute and then i'm like oh my god of course it's you mm-hmm. but what i love about that scene is they're being f- he's being such a fucking film nerd fastbender yep. archie hickox is yep. being such a film nerd he is like being so snobby and he's talking about the history of german cinema yes. and popst and all these people and he sounds so snobby and so does mike myers character back to mm-hmm. him and i was like this is what we sound like but with shittier accents <laughs> i was gonna ask if he was your favorite character because he's a film critic and that's and again everything that tarantino does typically has a point there's like mm-hmm. he doesn't put something in a film just to usually there's something some kind of foreshadowing or a message yeah. there and this film critic character he's chosen to go infiltrate because they're going to a film premiere. So it would make sense that he can go in and talk cinema Mm -hmm. as his cover. Mm -hmm. And did you pick up on how he uses his knowledge of cinema to sort of deflect in the bar scene when they're asking him, Hey, where's your accent from? Yeah. And he references a movie. He references a movie. He absolutely does. And in in the region of that movie, like he's so adept at talking about that movie that he's Mm -hmm. like, this is regional Rheinstadt or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. He uses that knowledge to deflect. And he does, I think a pretty good job yeah uh where he does get the guy off the scent for mm-hmm. a second or two he and buys it it, it he seems buy, he buys it and enough where he's like oh, okay I, I guess i could sort of see that you yeah. know what have you and i was an extra in that movie like that was he calls out a specific part. scene he in the like, film i was in this scene yeah. that was me you saw me yeah. and like yeah to just have that reference off the cuff uh-huh. to be able to kind of deflect and, and distract that guy i thought that was so fun he's he is one of my favorites he's i mean he always is one of my favorites in, in most things that he does but i did think it was a really unique interesting character and i was so sad when he didn't make it yeah because how interesting would that have been to see them like try to go through that mission yes it was definitely a decision to introduce this character give him this 10-ish minute sort of introduction dialogue heavy scene with mike myers of here's your mission blah 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 he gets there he's in it for maybe 15 minutes and then he's dead like everybody so invested in him and then he dies and that was so hard for me to watch but i was also like well you know you got to have a major hiccup you, this, right. This, it this, can't just go off without a hitch. It can't just go off without a hitch. Not to mention, I just love that Aldo at the beginning of this whole scene is like, why didn't she tell you we're meeting in a fucking basement? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I was I, When you shouted out earlier uh, Diane Kruger as Bridget Von Hammersmark, I have in my notes, she basically ruins the entire mission yeah. single-handedly because she chooses this location of meeting in a basement. Mm-hmm. She's hanging out with Nazis when they get there and like befriending them. And like, yeah. granted, they, they're fans of hers, right. the actress. She leaves behind her napkin with her autograph on it. Like, she is the reason that this whole shoes, thing. And her shoes, her fucking stuff, shoes. You know, they've, the bastards have been picking apart the Nazi army to this point. And then, you know, Bridget comes in and just fucks it all up. And yeah, I mean, she really does fuck up pretty bad. I will say that even Tarantino hated that character so much that he made the decision that he was going to be the one to strangle her to death in her closing so those are his hands those are not well uh, i did know it was his hands but i didn't know that was why oh i don't that that, that, i'm just being sarcastic (laughs) i assume that's why he's like you know what she really ruined my movie Mm, i'm gonna strangle her myself spinning off of that we have a lot of tense scenes in this film a lot of the typical dinner table tension Mm. there's like four of these conversations in the film of people just sitting awkwardly having a conversation and you're not sure who knows what, but there's a lot of sort of a threat of violence at Mm -hmm. any given moment. Which one stands out the most to you of the bunch? I mean, it's hard for it to not be that first one, the Kristoff and the the farmer, you know, the family that's hiding Shoshana's family. Mm -hmm. It's hard for it to not feel like that because again, it's the first moment of that that you really feel in the film. But yes, to your point, there are several more. The basement scene is one of them, Mm -hmm. for sure. You just feel like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh And also you're dealing with a bunch of drunk guys who are just like ready to go off at any moment for unrelated reasons. So that's definitely part of it. The other one, of course, is Bridget's scene with Christoph Waltz right after this when they are yeah. of course they they're they're on to them. Because again, they've fucked everything up at this point. Yes. Also Lieutenant Aldo, mm-hmm. I love you, bless you. His Italian 
is bullshit. <laughs> well, His so. Italian is nonsense. He's yeah. like, I speak the most Italian, so I'll be your escort. <laughs> yeah, you speak the most Italian with this ridiculous Tennessee accent. Yeah. But so, so without the entire plan falling apart and, you know, RIP in peace, Archie Hickox, but we wouldn't get their sort of like their Italian names and oh, that delivery of them saying their their names out loud multiple times to Hans Landa. And, what and were that the he three? makes them. That he yeah, makes them say yeah. it over and over yeah. again. <laughs> and if you're like a normal person who's not pretending to be somebody, aren't you just like, I'm not going to say it again. You know what I mean? Like, if it were me, I'd be like, no, yeah. thank you. So just to just to recap, in case you, you don't remember, the three names were Enzo Gorlami, and then we had Antonio Margaretti, and Dominic De Coco. Those oh were the God. three Italian names, so and that scene kills creative. me. So R.I.P. and peace, Archie Hickox, but, like, we needed that in order to get this. So yeah, we needed it. that moment of levity, to be fair. But also, it was, like, it was very much levity, but it was also enraging, because I was like, <laughs> you're not going to say Gorlami 12 times. You're going to be like, fuck you, I'm done here, sir. But, you know, it is, it, it's another note of deference to this random, crazy Nazi guy who has just literally laughed in your face, and you're just going to still appease him, because he's the threat. And that's a subtle scene of feeling that tension and threat, but then it segues into, she just told him that she hurt herself trying to climb a mountain, which again, shitty, terrible story, gets grabbed, taken in this back room with him. Mm-hmm. That scene, it escalates quickly, yeah. but in the few, you know, what, 30 seconds to a minute, whatever, yeah. where they're sitting there talking, it is incredibly tense. And you just actually don't know 100% which way it's going to go. Yeah. Is she going to be able to sell him on this or is he convinced already? Mm -hmm. And it's a very Cinderella moment in the worst way of he grabs her shoe that she stupidly left at this scene, puts it on and it fits like a glove. Yeah. So that's it. That she just signed her death certificate and you see it and then it implodes. But up to that moment, again, the courtesy, Mm -hmm. the chivalry, the, the, the charm of that scene. He prides himself on being a detective. Yeah. He mentions that several times throughout it. Literally, he's carrying around Sherlock Holmes pipe. Yeah. He's always, you're never really sure what he knows and what he doesn't know. But on this rewatch, I was really paying attention. And he's baiting people into saying silly things when she says the thing about the mountain climbing. Right. He looks at the cast and he's like, when were you climbing the mountain? Yesterday? Because that's a brand new cast. Right. And it's like, he already we already know that he knows. Yeah. But he's just fucking with people because he wants this feeling of superiority and cracking the case. And I I really dig that about the character. He wants you to know that he knows he can see through your your lie. And just through, again, to your point, those detective skills, those powers of observation, he can see the cast. And it's funny because he, like you said, he can't resist saying it. Yeah. But then he pulls back. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just messing with you, Fraulein, whatever he says. Yeah. And so you're letting her know that you know because you want her to be scared. That was going to be my follow-up was in the cafe scene with Landa and Shoshana. Do you think he knows who she is at that point in time? That's a great question. Thank I you. I don't. I don't. <laughs> just had to fill that. No, I just, yeah. No, it really is because I haven't thought about it, honestly. I don't know for certain. I think it's plausible that he's suspicious. Yeah. I don't think that he knows for certain, Uh maybe. But same thing. He even... This is, I think, actually the mark of a great detective, right? They Mm -hmm. don't assume that they're right. They test the hypothesis. Yeah. They continue to observe. They continue to investigate. And she's giving off body language as much as she's trying to conceal... How Mm -hmm. terrified she is in that moment. You know, we as the audience see it, how uncomfortable she is. So clearly this, I'm not going to call him the world's greatest detective, but that's what he's trying to be. I think he has an an idea. And the reason I ask that is because by the end of the film, he's kind of switched sides. He sees that Germany Mm -hmm. is losing the war. And he's like, well, let me get my retirement plan together of like getting out of here. So he aids the bastards in finishing Mm -hmm. Hitler off, letting the war end. And he sort of has it all lined up. So then when I look back at that scene with Trisha, I'm like, does he know that she's also planning something? Well, that happens back to the beginning too, though. Why did he let her go in the first place? That, I, yeah, that scene's fascinating. It is fascinating because sure, he, of course, when he pulls a gun on her, he he said a very long range is very unlikely that he's going to hit her, but he could still start shooting, make her stumble, make her mess up. 
yeah. then they can catch up with her. There's all kinds of things he could have done to catch her at that point. He could have sent people running after her. What's the likelihood yeah. that she can run forever and not be caught, right? Yeah. And it just, she literally runs off into the sunset practically, and he lets her. Why? Why does he let yeah. her go? And I think that that's part of what makes him intriguing as a character and complicated as a character. Because while he seemingly has no moral values, because again, to your point, he's going to flip the script at the end of the Mm -hmm. war. And he's done all these terrible, horrible things and he feels no qualms, no moral quandary with any of that. But yet he has a soft spot either for her or for some people. Why? Do you, do you think it's a soft spot or do you think he just loves the cat and mouse of it all? Because again, he's playing with these, toying with these people in these conversations where he knows he has the upper hand and he has information. So maybe he just sees it as like another opportunity to chase down somebody else that he's got to catch. I, I could know? see that to some degree. I think that, I think he definitely loves the cat and yeah. mouse for sure. A hundred percent agree with no that. No matter how many times we found Carmen San Diego, she always went to another city and we were happy to follow her. So it's like, we didn't actually want to arrest her. We just wanted to catch up and then see her off to her next jet setting location. You know, that's how she rolls. I, uh, I, I think that that's a Carmen San Diego move and he just wanted <laughs> to do that here as well. Things, But I do think, I think that's part of it. I think, again, I think he does love the cat and mouse. Yeah. If he has suspicions when he sees her, he doesn't immediately take action either. He does the thing where he orders milk and makes a big deal of it because, again, you know, she would remember that and you see her tense up again at that. And I remember Mm -hmm. watching it the first time in theaters and the entire audience had this little like tightening Mm -hmm. of all of their spines of just, oh, he knows, he knows he's doing this to mess with her. The only other thing that I wanted to call out about his sort of story arc and him being so quick to change sides is at the very beginning in the very first conversation. This is another example of how that first scene sort of mimics the the climax or mirrors it in some way, where he's having this conversation with the farmer. He asks, do you know what my nickname is? And the farmer says, they call you the Jew hunter. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, Hitler doesn't like his nicknames, but I love my nickname because, you know, I've earned it and blah, blah. And puts like a lot of stock into, yes, I love the fact that people call me this because I'm so talented at, you know, finding these people and hunting them down. At the end of the film, when he's having the conversation with Rain and the little man, BJ Novak's character, Mm -hmm. didn't talk about that nickname name at all but he's having the conversation with them then they mention yeah they call you the jew hunter and he says oh i despise that nickname like he's already ready to flip sides before they even have the deal in place of just no i don't i'm a detective it just so happens that i'm hunting down jewish people yeah i think he i think he's very willing to you know make situational moves yep you know he's ready to flip the script if he needs to and I think to your point, this Reich has enabled him to do this thing that he loves. Mm-hmm. So that's what he's going to do. And it doesn't really matter who's on the receiving end of that. And you find that he's ready to go do that somewhere else. And I and I also wonder, you don't get to see it play out, obviously. But I also wonder how much of that deal that he makes for himself mm-hmm. is really what he gives any shit about. You know what I mean? Because he's like, I'm going to get this house and I'm going to go to Nantucket and I'm going to be a U.S. citizen and I'm going to have lots of money and all these things. And it's like, but who are you going to chase? Right. Who right. Who are you going to hunt? Yeah. This is a guy who can't stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And he's he's kind of going through these motions that make you think he cares about that. But he doesn't seem to really care about that. Right. You know? Yeah. But before we... So, you know, I want to make sure we do our due diligence in talking about the theater, the cinema, and what happens at the cinema. Right. Um, I think... Oh, my God. This these this whole sequence is gorgeous, beautiful. The music is incredible. Yeah. David Bowie coming in. That was the people. one thing... That threw me this Did time it? through because... You know, originally we were going to be comparing this in Pulp Fiction. And whereas, you know, we'll talk about Pulp Fiction next week, but very traditional soundtrack as opposed to this one where it's a score for the most part Mm -hmm. of this original music. And you have sort of these rising sort of Mm -hmm. crescendos and things. But the one actual song that I think is in the film is that David Bowie. And for me, it felt out of place. I didn't love the use of it. I thought it complemented the scene so Mm -hmm. well. I thought it was like. It's all starting to happen. Yeah. You know, what I, I have a note earlier when I was watching it of like, everybody going to blow up this theater. Like, everybody wants to blow up this theater. Yeah. And here we are at this moment of them all coming together. They all have these differing storylines. Like, like, to your point of just this bow gets tied up in this beautiful way. And to me, that is very this climactic moment of 
She is ready to do this. Yeah. She's she's getting gussied up for it. She's got you know? her Rocky training montage, but ro- with makeup but and with lipstick. Makeup. <laughs> also, I so related to her like shitty job of her putting on her makeup. While she's doing it, it looks like it's going to come out terrible. <laughs> and I was like, this is me. Every time I put on eyeshadow, love this for me. But then, of course, it comes out great because it's a fucking movie. And yeah. I was like, this is never happens in real life. In case you were curious, when you just rub rouge on your face. Oh, I know. Doesn't look like. Yeah. I know. I know. We, we, we see you getting ready for Halloween. But yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I thought it, the sequence was so beautiful and then the colors were really rich. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting that she chose to wear red. Yes. And, yeah. you know, obviously Nazis flags are all over the fucking theater, which, what, what was it with the Nazis and their flags everywhere? It was obsessive. Yeah. And it's, and it's taken over her theater. And if for no other reason, I would think she would want to burn this theater to the ground. Yeah. I, as as Americans, though, I don't know that we're allowed to criticize flag waving because uh, take a look around. <laughs> yeah, but like also I think that's I don't know. I, I think that's so excessive. Yeah. And it's it's excessive here. It's excessive there. And but again, she chooses to wear this color that is predominant on this flag. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, and she really leans into it and she looks very Aryan. Mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, she is already blonde. She was blonde before. It's not like that changed. But she looks very Aryan in the situation. And I think it's what kind of packs a punch a little bit too of she is this, you know, wolf in the grass. Mm-hmm. Like they don't expect her. She looks like them. She sounds like them. She's in this upper elite echelon giving this premiere, but she's going to be the one to take them out. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I agree with that. I find it interesting that there are two different assassination plots going on at the same time, and neither one knows about the other. I know. Shoshana has no idea the bastards are planning theirs. They have. To, I'm surprised that there's not like a scene of them looking around the, the theater that's now on fire and being like, what is going on? We didn't yeah. plan this. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of interesting that it all comes together and Hitler is double dead by the end of this. Double, yeah, double dead. <laughs> He's super duper dead. You know? Hey, we couldn't just kill him once. We gotta kill, we gotta, we gotta kill him twice. I actually love, so what I noticed in the sequence is that it's really her lighting the match. Yes. You know, she gets to pull the trigger. She gets to light mm-hmm. the match, so to speak. She pulls the trigger on Daniel Brühl. That's a whole scene, obviously. He, you know, she takes him out. He takes her out. But but she gets to take him out, you yeah. know, in all the best ways, I think. And it's, she knows that her, she's under threat at this point. She knows yeah. that, that this is not going to end well for her no matter what. So I love that she, the way that she doubles down, I love that she gets to set the match, you know, so to speak. And she gets this vengeance that is very directly tied to a thing that happened to her and her family. Whereas the bastards are doing the Lord's work, you know, no, (laughs) no disrespect, but they don't have quite the same tie to this specific act as her. I think in a very personal way that you get really invested in. So I was really excited for that to happen for her. I would say that they do. I mean, we we don't know if any of the bastards have lost family in this war or anything like that, but they do make it a point at the beginning to say they are specifically picking Jewish American soldiers. They want this army to have a stake in what's going to happen. But I do think there's, it's important to note the difference of American Jews who weren't under threat necessarily. Although there were a couple, of course, there were Mm -hmm. Germans that defected. I'm not saying that versus people who were invaded, who were attacked, whose families were directly killed. And I think she's just, she's just emblematic of that for me. And I think it's really satisfying to see her get that moment. And then yes, of course it's doubly satisfying to see the bastards also get their moment, you know, but it's not without significant loss. Right. Yeah. Like I said, pretty much everyone is dead by the end of this. The heroes, the villains, you have the most hated character probably in the film, aside from Hitler, I suppose, but like the most hated main character survives. One of the major heroes survives and then you got the side character, BJ Novak. But that's sort of the only people that walk away from this movie relatively unscathed, except for the one guy has the swastika in his forehead, which is kind of a scar, I guess. Uh, But (laughs) a little bit, a little bit of a scar. I, I also thought it was, I was like, the the sound in this theater must be fantastic because there are bullets going off in like the sound booth. I feel like you would know well, the she difference. she did it during the shooting. She intentionally does it, she but does. then he also shoots he her. And I guess, yeah, I'm just like, wow, this, I want to go to this theater, but you can't anymore because they blew it up. Because they blew it up. In 1942 what or whatever. What a loss. <laughs> I'm not a historian. <laughs> but yeah, I, there's not a lot else that I feel the need to call out in this one. It's a brilliant movie. I wanted to touch on really quick something that I noticed, and this was funny enough. I think this was my third watch of this film. But did you pick up on all the threes in the basement bar scene? Yes, there were a lot of threes. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I empathize deeply with Hickox with his holding up three situation. Yes. I, for the listeners, can't hold up three the way that he held up three. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'm going to share this on the socials because it's real embarrassing. But I, I think was, you have to now. I Yeah, I think I have to now. I can't. My It looks like a little bit like a claw. So I was kind of like, <laughs> I literally would not be able to do that. I would have been better undercover because I would have had to do this. Yeah, they should have sent you in. As a film critic, you know films too. That's what I'm saying. I should have had an audition opportunity. But no, I I did notice that. And I, again, I thought it was like some personal humor there, but also so frustrating that that's the thing. That that gives him away. So he, and again, hopefully everyone listening, this has seen the movie, but he makes the wrong three hand signal. Maybe we'll we'll share that on the social, the proper and improper German three. But leading up to that, the entire time they're in the basement, there's five or six other mentions of the number three. When they first show the original German soldiers that are in there playing sort of the 20 questions game, the guy stands up and he does sort of like a salute. I guess it's supposed to be an indigenous or Native American salute of whatever character he is and when he does it he holds out the german three mm-hmm. in the salute mm-hmm. then the i forget what the the character's name is that comes and interrogates them sort of down there yeah, yeah, yeah. and he says oh to the best three germans i know then he says so much 33 year old whiskey yep. and all this leads Which up to this not a guy thing, by the way, in case you were curious <laughs> uh yeah so no i totally agree there were there's a ton to your point you you said it earlier there's almost nothing in a script in a in a in a direct you know feature of Quentin Tarantino's that doesn't have intention and Mm -hmm. foreshadowing and again very well written very cohesive so yeah I totally agree and I think the last thing that we go out on is is maybe the best ending that you see in a lot of these films but just in this way it was one of my favorites of just this Nazi getting his comeuppance yep and Aldo Rain getting the opportunity to do what he's already done a couple of times. Yeah. We love what he's done already, but he gets to do it again and be like, hey. You're not walking away from this. You're not walking yeah. away from this. And I love that he's like, you're going to be shot for this because that's a very German situation. Yeah. He's like, no, bitch, I'm going to get chewed out. <laughs> They'll yell at me. I've been chewed out before. I've been chewed out. I can take the heat. I'm going to cut the shit out of your forehead. And yeah. I am not. And I'm going to go to bed happy. And I just love that he does it. And he's like, you're never, you're, you might get your, your deal that you want to get. But your life is ruined. You're going to walk around every day. Yep. With this on your everyone's going to know where you and came everyone's from. Gonna know where you came from. Yep. And you were so giddy to be a prisoner two minutes ago. Yeah. And I just love these. I like that down. that quick like, hey, cuff him. He just shoots the other guy. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? We had a deal. I like, know. He was so giddy. Yeah. And now he's just shot down. And I love it. That's... It's so satisfying. Even though, again, Christoph Waltz is an incredibly interesting mm-hmm. character and a incredible performance you're very happy to see him taking down a peg yeah i would i would go as, uh, so far as to say that's a bingo that's you a know, bingo exactly. is that how you say it that's a bingo <laughs> we um, just say bingo. did you also pick up on the little speaking of pulp fiction next week did you pick up on the little phone cameo when they call in the deal mm-hmm. who's on the other side of the line oh harvey Keitel. Yes. yes so we'll get harvey it more Keitel. of you're him right. Right. in pulp fiction and probably other Tarantino November films over the of next course. few weeks. But yeah, I thought that was cool. Like we got the voices yeah. of Sam Jackson and Harvey Keitel in here. Players. I love yeah. that he has a little troop, you know, a little troop yes. of players that he likes to use over and over again. And, they, and they're and they're different. They're similar, but they're different enough. Right. Uh, the last cameo that I don't think we mentioned, aside from Tarantino's hands, is that he also cameos two other times in this yeah. as a getting, getting scalped, scalped. Yeah. German Nazi. And then he plays an American soldier in the film within in the film. In the Ziller film, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He just wanted to play both sides, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah, I guess he just he just wants to be in all the scenes, I think is what it is. <laughs> and I, I get it. You made a movie. You earned it. That's fine. I think the, the overarching note for me is that I think this movie is an incredible film. Mm-hmm. I, it's Tarantino's sixth film, sixth outing at this point. Mm-hmm. And he has built up a reputation by this point that I think that it was such a massive success immediately. Yeah. You know, it was, you win it. Who doesn't like a movie about killing Nazis? First of all, I would watch them every day of the week. That should be, you know how I do 31 films for October. Yeah. I would watch 31 Nazi killing movies. I don't know what month we would do it. Pick a month, any month. I'll do that. Make sure it's a 31 day month so we can get in as many as possible. A hundred percent. So I think it's the premise is great. But the construction is great and yeah. the execution of it is pretty flawless. And I think, again, Tarantino has built up a reputation and a repertoire at this point that it was very easily accessible. You know what you're getting. You know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And so people loved it. 
right yes. away they loved it and that was we'll talk more about this next week but that was one of my main points about this film versus pulp fiction yeah you know what you're getting into you know that there's going to be some dialogue heavy scenes but that there's going to be a payoff right and it doesn't feel despite there being as i said three to four different tense dinner scenes or table scenes it doesn't feel self-indulgent there's some tarantino films where there's these random one-off conversations that are kind of silly and it's Mm -hmm. like things that people just shoot the shit about just random conversations this one it it feels it's all purposeful yeah everything is leading up and every every one of those scenes has this underlying tension about it that i love yeah i totally agree well, thanks for listening to us basically fangirl about Glorious Bastard, <laughs> Bastards for an hour. We is this anything it. but a 10 to you? Is this a perfect 10 or would you dock it points for anything? I guess if you got to slap a final rating on here. I don't think I give anything a 10, first of all, because I'm just a dick. So I can't give it a 10. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say it's a solid 9. Okay. You know, like it's an 8 or a 9. I mean, I, if I really had to go back and watch it again, I could, I'm sure I could find flaws. I do find flaws, actually, now that I'm saying that out loud, I find flaws in some of the, the spy stuff that we talked about, yeah. like the execution of yeah. that particular scene and stuff. I, I understand why we needed it as a plot device. Right. But do I think it's a realistic story in that context? Probably not. Okay. Um. So, yeah, probably like an 8. I love this movie. Okay. I think it's great. Okay. Well, th- this is only, what, week four or so of this podcast, and so yeah. you will be the, the stickler judge, and I will be the kind... You can be the Russian judge, and oh. I'll be the kind-hearted American, and I'm just going to give everything tens. Give everything Maybe not tens. everything tens, but to me, there's very little for me to find wrong here, yeah. and I would say it's, it's probably like a 9.8 for me. Yeah. There's like the one... The, the marquee scene and the follow-up until Landa shows up, that's the only part of the movie that drags a little bit for me, but mm-hmm. I, I love this flick. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, like we said, thanks for listening, but also thanks for coming back next again and again, and hopefully next week as well to hear us talk about Pulp Fiction and then probably Hateful Eight after that. And then one more, again, reminder, give us your suggestions. Yeah, do you want to tell them where they can actually reach us now? We've got some socials and we also have an email. we got all the things. We are at We Drink and We Watch Things Mm -hmm. on all the socials, Mm -hmm. and it's exactly what it sounds like. And then we also have an email. If you want to send us these recommendations, please email us at We Drink and We Watch Things Pod at gmail.com. And stop sending physical hate mail to my house, please. Stop sending hate mail to Lamar, okay? He's a nice guy. I know you can't tell yet, but you'll (laughs) eventually figure it out. We love him. Wonderful. So we will see y'all, or you'll see us. Nobody's going to see anybody. You'll you'll hear from us. But you'll hear from us soon. So now, go have a drink and watch a thing. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.